subject this morning, Lord willing, is uh, one that I have thoroughly enjoyed considering over the course of being among uh, Old Baptist Bible students. You know, we are students of the Word of God, and we'll always be a student. We're, we're never going to graduate from this college. Yeah, and, uh, and actually, in every aspect of our life, it's always uh, a blessing to consider ourselves as being a student. And in the process, it puts us in a position of, of humility, which is an extremely safe place for us to be. Some personal insight, and I think that's part of the witness and testimony that we have together. And that is, I have been failing for 58 years and next Tuesday it'll be 59 years that I have been just an absolute, complete, and total, utter failure. I have failed at recognizing the power of God as I should. And when you consider the cumulative years that have passed, the attitudes that prevailed, I've fallen into Satan's trap, the same trap that Eve originally fell into, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You see, my failure is attempting to put my plate of myself in place of God. And that was the deception in the garden. And any time that I'm rising above in self-righteousness, I have placed myself in a position that does not belong to me. And in the process of putting myself in the position of God, Everybody around me suffers this needless injury and harm to people around me, especially the ones closest to me. It's taken me 58 years to see that. God help me. To see myself in the proper position. Now I can do that. Paul said I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengtheneth me. He said 
let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. We are able to adjust our mind. We're able to adjust the thought processes that pass through our mind. If it were not for the grace of God and his immediate and effectual intervention in the case of his people, it would be an impossibility for us to recognize this error. We could not recognize this error. But there are many of God's children that are posing themselves themselves to be equal to or greater than God. So I'm not alone. I'm not alone in that. The truth is, is that I am a sinner saved by grace. I can relate to what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy saying, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's a, that is a proper place for a child of God's attitude to dwell. That's a safe dwelling place for us. We're saved by the grace of God and grace of God alone. And the goodness of God. The goodness of God that he has blessed us with. to read the text verbatim but for some reason it's not in the place that I thought it was but it's in the vicinity So I'll quote at it. It's crazy. It's at the top of my page, in the second column, in the first three chapters of Genesis. It's where it's at. But for some reason, my eyes are not seeing it. But God breathed into the nostrils of Adam. He became a living soul. Before that, he was nothing but dust of the earth and I'm sure the moisture of the earth and the dust of the earth and then God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul 
And from that point forward, we've all come forth. It would be difficult to deny that the breath that you have and the breath that I have is not consistent and in continuity with the breath that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam. In the Acts of the Apostles, it says it's in him that we live, we move, and we have our being. One of the things that we take for granted in our lives is our breathing. Until we have an upper respiratory infection, until we have difficulty breathing, until we get to 9,600 feet in the Rocky Mountains, or 12,360 feet, I think is what it was, or 260 feet at the peak of Independence Pass there. A little difficult to breathe when the air is that thin. And then we think about our breathing. But did you know that whenever, whenever we become disturbed, agitated, irritated, anxious, or tempted. Our breathing changes. There is a direct connection between the breath and the body. Breathing becomes more rapid. Breathing also controls, in some respects, our heart rate, our blood pressure. All of these things controlled by the breath. It's all a part of what God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul. I think it's important for us to pay attention to our breathing. As a part of this, I want to go over here to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and I would appreciate uh, your, your prayers. Once again. There it is. Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. This is Solomon. Chapter 12 is a very metaphorical as it relates to aging. He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. It's concerning aging. And for the young people and for the youth to remember the creator in the days of their youth is some of the best advice and the best practices that a young person can have. All manner of pitfalls, errors, 
and hurt and harm can be avoided by remembering now thy creator. How many things have we done in our youth that we regret? How many things have we done in our youth that we lay awake at night sometimes and the loop starts turning? Things that we wish we could take back. Things that we did. You know, I'm, had I been more diligent, had I not thought that I was God and above God, and if I would have remembered my Creator, right? What does it mean when you remember your Creator? It means that you're not Him. You're not Him. Remember now, thy Creator, in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know, as we get older, it's some, th some things are very difficult, if not impossible, to enjoy that we used to. After two surgeries and, uh, you know, passing through a, a, tri a, a trial of health, yesterday I picked up a golf club for the first time in six years or so. It didn't work. It just did not work like it did before. I mean, I, I had a pretty good fluid swing and I could hit the ball consistently, semi-consistently. I could hit it, but it may not go where I wanted it to. Well, the swing is just completely gone. It's been erased. The muscle memory and everything else when you, when you stop doing things. Well, regardless of if I had all of the strength that I had then, I would not be able to hit the ball as far. There are aspects of the golf game that I would not enjoy today like I enjoyed in my youth. When the evil days come, and you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. Evil days are the days where your strength abates, where you begin to, where you begin to uh, age. And there are several things that begin to happen to us. And he, he lists those there, but I'm not going to read them. That's not the subject this morning. If, if you want to go and see the metaphors and the analogies here that uh, Solomon presents concerning aging, then I, I invite you to go read it. It's, it's, it's very plain. It will jump out of the book at you. But this is what I wanted right here. He gets all the way down to a point in time whenever death comes. Those are the evil days. When death is knocking at the door, when the expected time of death comes, the Bible says that it's appointed unto one once for man to die, after that the judgment. God didn't make an appointment for death. Adam did. I'm convinced of that. Adam is the reason why we die. Because of the original sin, because of the transgression in the garden, when he sinned, death came upon all men, and death by sin. Adam 
and his transgression is the reason why the evil days come. And the ultimate evil day is the day that we draw our last breath. From a standpoint of evil being all of the, all of the joys of our natural being being removed. We have, at that point, no more strength. Strength has completely left our body. The breath that God breathed into the nostrils fades away. I know that you've seen people maybe not draw their last breath. I've not witnessed that. I've been around death probably as much or more than anybody in the role that I attempt to fill in comforting and, and uh, being with families when loved ones are in their final days and hours in an attempt to comfort them to the best of my ability. But I haven't ever seen anybody draw their last breath. Haven't ever seen it. But I've been with two specifically where I was able to hold their hand when they were basically comatose, struggling to breathe, one of whom was experiencing what they call the old man's friend. And that's the rattle. My mother calls it the death rattle, where the lungs are filling with fluid and soon the breath ceases. But I've been by them and I've held hands and I have encouraged them. My sister Beverly, when she was laying in the bedroom of, I'm sorry, the living room of my parents' home, and it was obviously that the end was here, we received the phone call and it was time to go. The whole family had gathered around her body laying there in the living room and the rattle had been going on and it was one of those things you never forget. I sat by her side and my sister loved angels. Above her bedroom were the wings of an angel hanging on the wall. Outside of her front door were figurines of angels. She had angels everywhere. She found great comfort in knowing that God's angel encampeth round them that fear him. When I sat next to her, uh, her side, I said, Beverly, God's angel encampeth you. It won't be long, and there'll be a whole company of angels that are gonna carry you into heaven's 
pure world. And at the time, the suffering that was occurring, it was impossible for me not to say, it's okay. It's okay to turn loose. It's okay to go home. You don't have to keep fighting. The lab labor and breathing continued and I was having difficulty maintaining my composure so I told Lisa that I was going to go for a walk. As soon as I had got into the, on, onto the street, she comes running out and says, Steve, you must come. She's gone. It was a sweet relief, knowing that she didn't have to suffer anymore. But at the same time, there was something missing. There's someone missing. And she's been missing ever since. But she's not missing in heaven, in heaven's pure world. She went to that place that was reserved for her. She experienced the inheritance that is incorruptible, that is undefiled, and that fadeth not away. That which is reserved in heaven for you and me, all of God's people. You see, there was a reservation made, and the Lord Jesus Christ kept it. He kept the appointment on the tree, the cruel death of the tree. And seeing that he finished the work, your appointment and my appointment with the Lord in heaven in a condition of being free of sin and the condemnation of sin, we will view him with our own eyes and not another. There's coming a time when we will draw our last breath in this element. But we will continue to live in heaven's pure world. Sister Bonnie Piles, she joined the church late in life. The sister-in-law of Ray Piles, the pastor of this church for 30 years and charter member. She joined, was baptized, I'll never forget, wearing a shower cap. She didn't want to get her hairdo messed up. But she was the sweetest one. And as I was by her side at St. Edward Hospital there on the sixth floor, her breathing became very difficult. And she would stop breathing. 
and close her eyes. And you would think that she departed. But then her eyes would open. She would draw a deep breath and she would look at you. And then she would breathe out, close her eyes. And I couldn't help it, but at that time, to tell her, to the best of my ability, to minister to her at that hour, Sister Bonnie, one of these times, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to see all that heaven is and you're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't long until she opened her eyes in heaven's pure world and drew her last breath of oxygen in this life. You see, this breath, we can't live without it. And whenever we, whenever we notice that it's disturbed, I think we should pay attention. When it's, when it's to serve, when, when the heart begins to race and when we begin to get out of breath because of one reason or another, either because we're angry, because maybe we're anxious, or maybe we're being tempted. Pay attention to it next time you're tempted. Pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your breathing. You're going to notice that there is a physiological change that occurs in the body. And by recognizing the, connect, the connections, I believe that we are blessed as God's people to exercise better self-control. I'm going to confess to you this morning, again, over the course of the last year, it's been the last year, Things that have been deeply buried into my subconscious have come out. And it has not been a pretty sight. It's almost like a boiling that goes on in the subconscious that is masked by the conscious mind And certain triggers causes it to come out. I pray that I can exercise self-control so as not to do that ever again. That is my desire. We have the ability to exercise self-control. We have the ability to pay attention to that connection between our mind and our body. We do. Now listen here, there's a couple of texts. And this is, this is a beautiful thing, and I appreciate your prayers this morning. I mean, we have a few minutes, which is, a, is delightful. But look what he says here in verse 6.
Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Or ever the silver cord. You hear that? Or ever the silver cord be loosed. Once again, he's talking here of a digression, if you will. As strength is gone, the evil day comes, and one has drawn or is drawing their last breath. The way that Ecclesiastes states it, and Solomon, and through inspiration, he calls it the silver cord being loosed. I have always marveled at that. Have you ever, have you ever had a piece of silver and noticed the density of it? Have you ever had a little silver thread and noticed how fragile it is? You know, one of the more fragile metals would be silver from a standpoint of strength. It just does not have the strength that other amalgamized metals have. So that which connects us to this life, to this earth, to this planet, to this body, to this breath, to this brain, is considered to be a silver cord and a very, very fragile thing at that. So fragile. So fragile that it's terrifying to think of the silver cord being loosed in the lives of those that we love so dearly. <clears throat> One of the things I was reminded of that I repeated last Sunday after Brother Richards is that this rabbi quoted that God loves them more than I do. God loves me more than I love me. God loves you more than you love you and God loves you more than I love you and God is on his throne. His arm is not shortened. Concerning the salvation, not only for eternal things and places, but salvation from what we can't see that's around the corner. From what we can't see when we enter into that intersection on the way home. God's angel encampeth round them that fear him. He's delivered us so many times we can't count them and we can't even recognize them. The vast, vast majority of times that we're delivered, we don't even know we were delivered. But God delivered us from a standpoint of his love. Oh, but the silver cord. Notice the other language he uses. Ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken. Or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. 
These are metaphoric images that Solomon has presented as it relates to drawing our last breath here on earth. Somewhere wrapped up in there is our breath. Somewhere wrapped up in there is our heart. Somewhere wrapped up in there is our mind. It's when we depart this life. Now, I've mentioned the word conscience. Consciousness, conscience. And just so you know, I haven't jumped off the mystical deep end. The word is used in the Bible. Let me share with you a couple of occasions where it is used. Did you know that the good conscience that we have comes from God? The good conscience that you and I have is a result of the new birth. When we were born again, we became what? New creatures. Now what were we before the new birth? We were creatures. But when we were born again, we became new creatures. There were some changes that took place at the hand and immediate and effectual work of God. The one text we use so frequently that says it just as plain as it could be is found in John chapter 10 where he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead, that's the creature, okay, shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. That's the new creature. That's you, and that's me, as we've come under the disposition of the grace of God. God's grace. We're new creatures. We have a new conscience. We have a good conscience. Do you ever feel condemned when you fall short? Do you feel condemned whenever you become resolved to do better and you fail? Is there something that happens inside of you that feels funny. Is there something inside of you that is teaching you and reminding you that you missed the mark? Did you know that's what the definition of sin is? Is missing the mark. The Apostle Paul says this in the Hebrew letter. He's speaking to the Hebrews, but he's speaking to them and it's recorded for us. When he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he Receive it. There's your good conscience, brethren. Yeah. That's when God dealeth with you as a son. Amen. That's when God deals with you as one that he has bestowed 
His everlasting, pure, perfect love upon. He's filled your heart and your life with His love. So not only is this an external working of God, there is also something else that's occurring on the inside, and that is, Paul called it, being pricked in the heart on the road to Damascus. In Stephen's case, the men who stoned him to death were cut to the heart. There's a difference. Pricked in the heart, cut to the heart. Paul was pricked in the heart. Didn't the Lord tell him on the road to Damascus, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks? That was God working on him in his heart, in his good conscience, in that seat that he has. Thank God for the good conscience and that which dwells in our mind and in the seat of our affection that God placed there. Thank God for that. There's a, there is another scripture right here that you're familiar with. Listen to it in light of this. Where he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. What was it that Adam became when God breathed in his nostrils? He became a living soul. And now Paul has introduced the spirit, the soul and spirit. Now, Listen to what he says next. Dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Did you know that God knows your intents before you do? Before those thoughts well up in your heart, right? Before those things are conceived in your mind, God is acutely aware of them. So he's even aware of what is passing through our mind. And he's aware of it passing through our mind before we're aware of it passing through our mind. The discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Did you notice that? He didn't say mind. The thoughts and intents of the heart. What does the Lord Jesus say? He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. There's another text over in Jeremiah about the heart being evil. It's an, it's an evil thing in its original condition. 
But in its new condition, it has come under the imposition of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the, the conscience now for the next few minutes. Verse 12, Romans chapter 2. For as many as have sinned outside the law, okay, once again, that have completely and totally missed the target. Totally missing it. Just like me trying to hit that flag yesterday on the driving range, you know. Not even remotely close. I need more practice. And you know what? Every single one of us need more practice in the attempt at righteousness Amen. in this life. Amen. Every single one of us. We should make it a daily practice to pay attention, to consider the Lord, consider His Word, consider ourselves. Paul said, whether ye be in the faith. That is a self-examination. Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith. Look what he says here. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now keep in mind he's speaking about Gentiles without the law, meaning they were outside of the camp of Israel. They did not have the law of Moses, nor the Levitical priesthood. So they sinned without the law, outside of the influence of the law. They sinned, they died, right? And Christ died for their sins just as he died for those who were under the law. That's why it's called grace. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Notice what he says next. For when the Gentiles, right, who are without the law, who didn't have the law, when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, okay, here are people living outside the camp of Israel. These people did not have the Shekinah glory of God manifested in the wilderness in the, in the form of a fire by night and a cloud by day and the miraculous works and miracles of God's glory. They were outside of that influence. They did not have the tables of stone. They did not have the external law nor the oracles or the manner of worship that was acceptable to God. These were people who were worshiping the trees and the rocks and they were carving all manner of things from their imagination and bowing down and worshiping the groove and other false gods. They were engaged in all manner of abomination that even HBO can't touch. Can't touch it. These are people who were under the influence of their flesh. But there was something else residing within them. It's the same thing that I quoted a while ago out of Romans. You've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh out unto children, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now listen to the Gentiles. 
The Jews forgot that. Paul was reminding them. Here Paul is using the Gentiles in an effort to, to uh, draw a comparison between the people who had the law, the law in his day and were abusing it and using it as an abusive, weaponized tool against each other and against the Gentiles. That's what the Jews did. The Jews weaponized the law to condemn when they themselves were guilty of the same. And that's what he says a little bit later. God forbid that religion is ever weaponized. God forbid. And aren't you thankful that it is an absolute impossibility, cannot occur, that grace can ever be weaponized. Mercy cannot be weaponized. But guess what? The law can. And that's why the Paul said that the letter killeth. People literally died under the letter of the law. Literally, for transgressing of the law. But they were also killed from the joy of their salvation by the letter of the law, by the weaponizing of the law. God forbid that we would ever allow legalism and the weaponizing of religion to seep into our congregation. God forbid. But God has placed some safety nets in place for you and me as individuals just as he placed a safety net in place for every heir of promise jew greek gentile barbarian or free every child of god is in possession of this safety net that is put on display by the gentiles worshiping and drinking blood Lisa can't stand a steak that's rare. I can't stand one that's burnt. I gotta have it right in the middle. But listen, she says, For the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature contain the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, there it is, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Amen. Boy, there's a look into the psychology and stuff that's going on between our ears right there. Amen. That is Paul digging deep. He is pulling out some psychological concepts. And keep in mind, psych means soul. Who is the great physician over the soul? It is none other than our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great soulcologist. Yeah. But their conscience, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. You know what that text reminds me of? 
That reminds me of the Apostle Paul saying in the Corinthian letter that, uh, that uh, when we, I'm going to paraphrase, uh, compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not wise. We, we have a standard bearer to compare ourselves to, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And guess what? When we compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're on safe ground. Why? Because we're not God. He is. Yeah. That's why I don't compare myself to you. You shouldn't compare yourself to me. It would be, it would be a cinch if you did, because... I am an utter and total failure. But we compare ourselves, to compare ourselves among ourselves is not wise. Why? Because we compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. One more text. It's found over here in Peter concerning the conscience. You know exactly where I'm going. There was a time when Noah was constructing the ark, ark as he was instructed by God to do so. It took him 120 years to construct the ark. We draw that by inference. 120 years. You know, it had some suppose that it hadn't rained upon the earth. Some suppose that it had. God knows. All we know is the book reveals that there was a mist that came up from the earth that watered it. That's what the book says. And it also says it had not rained. Someone supposed that means that it had not rained like that when it flooded the earth and the fountains of the deep were open and the heavens were open and the earth was flooded 18 feet, I believe it was, or so above the highest point of 26,000 feet today, right? The whole globe was flooded. And there were eight souls saved by water. Now, were they saved to heaven? No. They were saved from the wicked and untoward generation that the Apostle Peter talked about. Did you know that joining the church is a salvation that is consistent with the salvation of the eight souls saved by water? Saved from a wicked and untoward generation. That's what baptism will do for you. And that's what he's teaching here. Notice. <clears throat> Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. How did he do that? Did he go himself? Well, I would have to say yes. But did he go into a prison and preach? I would have to say Noah preached. The Bible teaches us that he was a preacher of righteousness and he preached by the work of his hands, by the activity of building and constructing the ark and holding out and holding forth in obedience and moving forward as God had instructed him to do to construct that ark. And as a result, his family was saved. And guess what? We're all related to either Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Maybe Noah. Shem, Ham, or Japheth? Well, we're all related to Noah. Yeah. We would have to be. Yeah. That's right. But we all sprang forth from that one family because 
because Noah was obedient and constructed the ark, which also provided a picture for you and me this morning for us to look at and see vividly as, as he describes it here. There's never been preaching occur in the absence of the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of who the man is doing the preaching. In that day, it was Noah doing the preaching. Lord Jesus, Word of God was there. Which sometimes were disobedient. Notice, he's talking about the spirits in prison. Sometimes disobedient. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Notice what he says next. The like figure. So just as you could see this ark, you could see the flood, you could see God steering it, you can see that the only light they had in that was from the one square cubit window at the top of the ark looking into the heavens to the one that was steering the ark. The ark being a picture of the New Testament church. We don't, you know who steers this? God and His Word steers this. Do you know where the window is? This window in this church is straight ahead. We look up to the Lord Jesus Christ for our direction, for our strength, for our salvation, just like those people did on that ark. The like figure we're into, he says, baptism now doth save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It never washed away one sin, just like him. There was not one sin washed away by the flood. There was not one individual saved eternal, eternally by the flood. Baptism does not save you eternally, but it saves you from a wicked and untoward generation. The same thing the water saved Noah and his family from. Notice what else he says. The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good, what? An answer of a good conscience towards God. You have a good conscience in you, child of God. And God put it there. And that good conscience is something we should pay attention to. We should, we should consider it, pay attention to it, and understand how our body reacts to it. To get in touch, once again, with ourselves. To slow down, to study, to be quiet, as Paul said over there in, in, in speaking to the church at Thessalonica. To study, to be quiet. To settle down. To listen to your breath. that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam. Wow, that's pretty huge. But it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. You know, I'm always neglectful in finishing this because he says, he's not finished here. Answer of a good conscience towards God 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's directly connecting water baptism here with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you come forth out of that water in the baptism, in that service, in that ordinance of the church that the Lord Jesus Christ instituted, that was built upon the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, when he told John the Baptist, suffer it to be so now, for it, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Who is gone into heaven? Did you know that when you're baptized, what you are declaring publicly, just as in a wedding ceremony, you are declaring that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and you believe it with all your heart to the point where you are subjecting yourself to the watery grave. And you are declaring that He is risen from the dead, that He's resurrected, and that you believe that you are going to come forth out of the grave just like He did. The first fruit among many brethren. Notice what He says in closing. Who has gone into heaven. That's where you're going. That's where I'm going. That's where all of God's blood-bought people are going. Who's gone into the heaven. He doesn't say the heaven. And is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to Him. You see... The angels and the authorities are not subject to us. Yet, in heaven's pure world, there will be a different organizational chart. And you'll just have to search that out. But in this life, thank God, He has given angels charge over us. And God's angel encampeth round them that fear him. They're sent to protect you. Bear me up in your hand. Appreciate your very kind attention. Pray that I would be able to practice these things and that you and the other members of the church would be able to practice these things and that we would be better disciples in the kingdom of God.